is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. March 4th, ladies and gentlemen, a new show of The Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Big Daddy Errol Marks, my co-host, Small Mama Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Wow, what an introduction, Speedy, wasn't it? Uh-huh. It's come to the point in this show where we've been on uh-huh. for about two and a half years. Our tenure in New York, <laughs> a lot longer than Kenny Galladay's. There you go. He's now on his way to another team, or maybe retirement. Either that or he'll try to audition to play offensive line, because all he could do is block. Well, he's going to have to put on 250 pounds. Maybe ask Mackay Becton. Mackay Becton has lost like 70 pounds, so maybe he could take that 70 pounds, add it to his uh, 190 pounds, and he's closer to his total than you would ever think he would be. We have a great show lined up for you the wonderful and great ex-commander and giant linebacker LeVar Arrington will be joining us a little bit later in the show yes pro baller aka the deadly sweeper himself from Penn State LeVar Arrington will be joining us we will get into Patrick Kane demanding his way out of Chicago to go to one team And that is the New York Rangers. As Patrick Kane plays his first game over the week as a New York Ranger. Losing to Ottawa 5-3, but that's where he wanted to be. Timo Meyer heads to the New Jersey Devils. Jersey gets their offensive star. Should the Islanders have been sellers? I believe they should have. Because Lou told everybody that he is all in at the trade deadline. And he lands one player who is not anywhere close to any kind of star we thought he was going to and add as Pierre Engvall joins the New York Islanders. Six foot four, speed demon, who's a third line player. Good job, Islanders. ESPN Diana Russini reports that the Jets are now favorites to land Aaron Rodgers. Isn't that wonderful? Franchise tag deadline is Tuesday. How should the Giants deal with the contracts with Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Dexter? Big man Lawrence. He is going to be expecting a big amount of money. Manny Machado signs 11-year, $350 million contract to stay with the Padres. So, new New York Mets in the offseason next year. So, the whole Carlos Correa thing might smack the Mets right in the forehead if he stays healthy at well. And the New York Yankees looking good. The baby bombers are bombing it. As Volpe looks good. Pereza looks good. Dominguez looks good. I know it's spring training, but at least the Yankees have something to look forward to. And the New York Knicks on an eight-game winning streak, baby. Julius, a.k.a. Bricklayer Randall, hits the game winner against Miami on Friday to give him an eight-game winning streak. Jalen Brunson is the player of the month. He's the first player to do it since Carmelo Anthony. So congratulations to Jalen Brunson. One of the biggest acquisitions in the offseason and the New York Knicks land their superstar and they're on their way to the playoffs and could very much jump from the fifth seed to the fourth seed.
home court advantage. The last time they did that was a couple of years ago. It was COVID time. That was when Julius Randle was the only player on the team. And then when they went into the playoffs and played the Atlanta Hawks, looked like a bunch of chumps. Hopefully this year it will be different. This is a team that has a lot of depth, a lot of youth, and a lot of talent, and maybe makes a run this year. If you're a Knicks fan, you should be very excited about this team. Hopefully they keep it up. They have the Celtics on Sunday, and we have Moneyline Mania, and of course, Crunch Time. So why don't we get into it, ladies and gentlemen. Patrick Kane wanted to be a Ranger, and he got his wish. Spin the wheel and made Chicago make the deal. And they did with the New York Rangers as the New York Rangers land Patrick Kane. Chicago Blackhawks receive a conditional second round pick in the 2023 NHL draft, a fourth round selection in 2025 NHL draft, and a defenseman, Andy Walensky. If the Rangers make it to the Eastern Conference Championship, that draft pick could go to number one. The Coyotes were also involved receiving a 2025 third round pick from the New York Rangers. The Rangers only have to pay Kane 25% of the remaining deal for the season, only $2.625 million. Kane has 16 goals and 29 assists this season. Kane has 52 goals and 80 assists in 136 career playoff games and 70 points, 30 goals, and 40 assists in the Blackhawks' three Stanley Cup runs combined. I do not believe the Rangers will sign him in the offseason. I think he's going to make his one run with the Rangers. So will Vladimir Tarasenko, who's playing very well with the New York Rangers. Red hot right now. He's looking for a big contract at the end of the season. He's 31. You have Patrick Kane, who's 34. Might be looking for a three- or four-year extension somewhere else. But they decided they wanted to go to the Rangers to make that Stanley Cup run. Both players want to Stanley Cup. Tarasenko won with St. Louis one time, and Patrick Kane won three times in Chicago. So when you look at this, we have seen this in the NBA many, many times. We have seen players push their way out to go play with their best friends. We don't see this in hockey a lot. We don't see players pushing themselves out and telling the organization, the only way you can trade me is you trade me to one or two or three other teams. And Patrick Kane, pretty much for the last couple of weeks, said he only wanted to play for two teams, the Maple Leafs and the Rangers. One of the only teams he didn't want to play for was the New York Islanders. He got his wish. Now he has to make his run. He has to help the Rangers make that run, which they couldn't get over the hump against Tampa in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Lack of offense in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, two really good playoff players and Vladimir Tarasenko, and then Patrick Kane, who's an unbelievable playoff player. There is no excuses for the New York Rangers going into the playoffs this year. There is no excuses for Chris Drury and that defense. This team is as good as anybody in the Eastern Conference. This team has as much depth offensively as any team in the Eastern Conference. The question is, is this enough defense that could beat the Boston Bruins, could beat the Carolina Hurricanes? and the powerhouse teams in the Eastern Conference. I like the Ranger fans with their enthusiasm, shouting, we got Kane, but that doesn't mean anything when they head into the playoffs and they have to play New Jersey in the first round. The New Jersey Devils add Timo Meyer, one of the better young offensive players in the league. They could not re-sign him. 
They gave up a significant amount of picks away to San Jose. You look at Timo Meyer, I'm sure he didn't want to be a New Jersey Devil. As a matter of fact, I thought he was going to be a Las Vegas Knight. And congratulations to Jonathan Quick. Got traded to Columbus. And then Columbus, the next day, trades him all the way over to Las Vegas. And that was a good move by Vegas. Because you get a goaltender that has won it before, won it twice. And was one of the guys that really helped that organization win those Stanley Cups. And the Devils, they needed that offensive firepower. Timo Meyer, a guy that averages 30 goals a season for the last four seasons. A fantastic player. The Devils did not re-sign him. Meyer right now has 31 goals, 21 assists this season. Meyer has had 30 or more goals in three of the last four full seasons in the NHL. Meyer has also had over 100 hits in four of the five seasons and 75 hits the COVID season in 56 games. I look at the New Jersey Devils who needed that firepower and the Rangers. The Rangers are going to keep chasing the New Jersey Devils because they're for real. They're fast. They're young. They have good goaltending, finally, since Martin Brodeur. And they have good defense as they spent a lot of money a season ago adding Dougie Hamilton. And the Devils, everyone thought it was a fluke. A bunch of Ranger fans saying, oh, when is the Devils' cliff going to fall? And it did for a little while. They were cold for about two weeks, but since then they've been very steady and consistent after that. And as a result, they could afford to go after a Timo Meyer, who's not only a player for the present, but a player for the future. Now, they have not re-signed him yet, but they definitely aren't going to give up five players. Not that they were big prospects. The Devils didn't really have to give up any of their top prospects, high quantity of prospects and picks in order to get it. Because the Rangers made two moves for Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane and got got good bargains for them because Tarasenko only wanted to go to the Rangers and Patrick Kane especially only wanted to go to the Rangers they knew they had to do something to counter that too and Timo Meyer is a cornerstone that they could definitely build around 27 years old could hit could score goals is a tough guy to get off the puck and the Devils need that if they want to have some playoff experience too because Timo Meyer has a good amount of it in his early career with the Sharks as far as the Rangers yes they made these two trades if they waited too long with Patrick Kane they would have lost out kept like they were delaying for a while but they got it to work Tarasenko great bargain as well but different things in the playoffs, too. You need some intensity. I'm worried about their physicality. Gerard Gallant had them playing physically last year as underdogs. Are they going to have that same mentality as favorites now? They don't have Reeves anymore. Obviously, the Bruins are going to be the favorite, but the Rangers are the second favorite probably across the league because the Western Conference, they don't have as many powerhouse teams like the East. And the thing I worry is the faceoffs too. Are they actually going to win some faceoffs besides Trocheck? Another team that they should fear is the Boston Bruins, the beast of the East, who added Bertuzzi, Hathaway, Orloff, who's been hot, red hot since he's gone to the Boston Bruins. They're a good team with a lot of depth now. In the East, there is so many good teams fighting for those final wild card spots. The Islanders are still in that last wild card spot, but Pittsburgh, three games in hand. Buffalo, five games in hand. They've practically played more games than any team in the NHL. And the Islanders, you would think that Lou Lamorello was going to be a buyer at this trade deadline. Yes, they added Bo Horvat. He was the first person off the board. And then everything started to fall in everybody's lap. A lot of people thought that the Islanders were going to go after Chicharin, and he goes somewhere else, to the Ottawa Senators. Who would have thought that? Vladimir Tarasenko goes to the Rangers. The Rangers have not been connected to Tarasenko for the last two seasons. It was the Islanders that were connected to Tarasenko. 
And where does Tarasenko go? He goes to the Rangers for nothing. And you wonder what Lou Lamorello was going to do at the trade deadline. And then you add Pierre Envol, a six foot four, 200-pound speed demon that probably could play on the Islanders' second or third line. Is that enough to get them over the hump? Is that enough for them to win 13 out of the last 18 games to make the playoffs? With the Barzell injury, he could be out another week or two. Pajot could be out another week or two. There's not enough weeks. There's not enough games left for the Islanders not to be 100% healthy with their two or three studs that could be out for the next couple of weeks. They have three teams to fend off that have at least four games at hand on them. And yeah, Ottawa is still the one climbing now. Just beat the Rangers. They just swept Detroit, which is big for that playoff race because Detroit was one of the other teams that had a couple games at hand on them too. And the Penguins and the Sabres. Now, the saving grace for the Islanders is that the Sabres, who I thought was going to make some big trade deadline move like the Devils did, didn't do anything else. They're trying to sign all their players. They're going to be good for a very long time. Buffalo has a lot of young talent and a very good farm system. When you're bad every single year, that's what usually happens. You build on your farm system and you finally add some good players. So I think Buffalo's a year away from being a dangerous team. Yeah, they need goaltending especially. Yeah, which is crazy because for years they've always had good goaltending, just no offense. The curse of Ryan Miller. <laughs> yeah, and it's the Islanders' luck that they trade for Bo Horvat and Bavillier. He goes over to Vancouver and is having a fantastic second half of the season. Bavillier, who's only 25 years old, he'll win a scoring title in a couple of years. You'll see. That's the Islanders' luck. I don't know. Is Vancouver really that lucky to get these kind of special treatments? I don't know. They got Roddy, who's going to be good. The Islanders really got lucky getting him in the second round a couple of years ago. They got a first-round draft pick this year from the Islanders, which could be a lottery pick if the Islanders don't make the playoffs. And knowing the Islanders' luck, that 13th pick could jump all the way to one, and they get Bedard. I could see it happening. The league wants Montreal to get Bedard. Just Who to knows? spark the Canadians again. I think the league wants Phoenix to get him. New stadium. Gary Bettman's going to try to save that mistake. That and Matthews wants to go back home. It makes a lot of sense. The league also really wants Montreal to get back on track, too. That's their darling. They're 24 Stanley Cups, and now they've turned into a dysfunctional mess. With them playing as bad as they are, you can see that, too, where they rig it, where they're like fifth in the lottery, and they give them first pick. The New York Islanders, they still have a chance to make the playoffs. They definitely have to get red hot. And I don't want to hear it from any of the Islander analysts saying, well, they only have to win 10 out of 8. No way. They have to win 13 out of 18 games to make the playoffs. And you're only like three points ahead and one point behind the Pittsburgh Penguins who has three games in hand on you. You're really in a bad situation. Now, Pierre Envol maybe gets hot. Maybe he becomes that offensive firepower they need. I doubt it. But he does give them speed that they really don't have a lot of. And losing Barzell for another week or two could definitely benefit if they put Envol with Bo Horvat on that first line. That little speed. Bo Horvat has been a godsend. Bavillier's played just as well or better than Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat is playing in the Metropolitan Division against better talent. He is still putting up good numbers. So the Islanders got lucky making that trade because losing Barzell has definitely hurt them offensively, especially in the shootouts and the overtimes, which they have just been as bad as anybody in the NHL. That's not a hurdle. The Islanders have not won a shootout. They just don't have enough firepower. And Brock Nelson, who has the accurate shot award at the all-star game. Brock's had a really good season, but when you look at the Rangers and you look at Boston and you look at Carolina, even Pittsburgh, they have Malkin and Crosby. The Islanders don't have that firepower that you can trust if they make the playoffs. Bo Horvat, he's a good player. He's not the sniper that you expect to put the puck in the net when need be. They don't even have one. And they don't have a lot of shot creators either. The Rangers have Panarin. They have Zabitajet. They have Kreider. Now Kane. And 
Vladimir Tarasenko. These guys were all snipers at one point in their careers. Boston's got Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchant, Carolina. They have Aho and Shreshnikov. Each and every team has a sniper. The Islanders don't. If you want to call Bo Horvat a sniper because he has, what, 37 goals? Fine. This year, he's a sniper. He's never been a 40-goal scorer in his career. This will be the first time he scores 40 goals. Now, he got a lot of money after being traded to the Islanders, and I believe he was a great acquisition. And for the Islanders to move forward, they need players like Bo Horvat. Their best player is still their goaltender in Sorokin. And if Sorokin gets hot in the next 18 games, yeah, he could stand on his head and take this team to the playoffs. But if he doesn't and him and Volamov don't get hot, they're not making the playoffs. I know Islander fans on 103.9 FM don't want to hear this, but it's true. And I can't stand the Rangers, guys. But the Rangers made two really good moves, and it fell in their laps. The pressure is on Chris Drury and Gallant to take this team back to the Eastern Conference Championship and do what they couldn't do last year, and that's make it to the Stanley Cup. But they have a lot better teams in the Metropolitan and Atlantic Division going into the playoffs this year. When we come back, some NFL. The Jets are now the favorites to land Aaron Rodgers. But Adam Scheffner has said the New York Jets are the number one team to land Derek Carr. In the next couple of weeks, the Jets could get either Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr. When we come back, we'll get into that. And how should the Giants deal with the contracts of Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Dexter Lawrence here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They're live. ESPN's Diana Russini reports that the Jets are now favorites to land Aaron Rodgers. This has been going on for the last couple of weeks. Aaron Rodgers wants to hide into a dark room for four or five nights and relax and smoke ganja, whatever he wants to do. This is still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. This guy could still play. Did he have a great season last year? No. That doesn't take away how talented Aaron Rodgers is. It doesn't take away what Aaron Rodgers has done year in and year out. Aaron Rodgers last year had a 64.6 completion percentage, 6.8 yards per pass, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 3,695 passing yards, and a 91.1 passing rating. This is what all three quarterbacks combined for the New York Jets had. 4,040 passing yards, 15 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, a 56.9% completion percentage, and a 6.4 yards per attempt, and a 75 passing rating. Aaron Rodgers outplayed in one of his worst seasons. He put up better numbers than the whole New York Jets quarterback class. Joe Flacco, Mike White, and Zach Wilson. If Aaron Rodgers gets traded to the New York Jets, not only is he the best quarterback to ever play for the Jets, he's the best quarterback the Jets have had in the last 50 years. I can't believe that Aaron Rodgers will be a Jet. I said the same thing when Brett Favre winded up going to the Jets as well. Brett Favre got pushed out of Green Bay because of a young Aaron Rodgers. 
And now Aaron Rodgers is getting pushed out for a young Jordan Love. And why not let the circle go around? Aaron Rodgers heads to the New York Jets just like his hated friend over there in Green Bay, Brett Favre. And the Packers dug themselves a grave with Aaron Rodgers just like they did with Brett They Favre. waited too so long. They waited way too long. Already said, we're not trading into the NFC. That was the first thing that limited your market. Then you were limited down to the Jets and the Raiders and even the Raiders, a dysfunctional mess that they are, you couldn't even make them happy. Now they're allegedly out of the sweepstakes too. Not that it's a smart idea because it's Josh McDaniels and Mark Davis. I wouldn't trust either one of them either. But now you're going to have to deal with a very stubborn GM that knows how to trade in Joe Douglas, who got two first round picks for Jamal Adams, who isn't a top 10 safety anymore with his injuries and his regression in coverage. You want to deal with that GM or you're going to have to trade him to the NFC. And you know what they turned those two picks into? Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be an all pro player and Garrett Wilson, who was offensive rookie of the year. And now, what happens if the Jets say, we're not going to want to trade any draft picks. We're going to go after Derek Carr, who he get for $35 million. Then you're not going to get a first-round pick from anybody. You're probably going to have to trade somewhere in the NFC. We've heard the Panthers. We've heard the Saints. But the Saints have a lot of money problems. Maybe the 49ers are a long-shot sleeper play. For Rodgers. But then, you're not going to get much value for that either. The Packers have already kind of cash-strapped. A lot of it is Rodgers' contract. But still, if you're going to try to take on assets from those teams or get a third team involved to take on assets, that's going to be hard in itself. As far as the Jets, their choice of the pickings at this point because you're going to get Aaron Rodgers for probably a two and a four, or you're going to get Derek Carr at a pretty good contract. You have your franchise quarterback, and if other players stay healthy, you don't have a lot of weaknesses on this team. Aaron Rodgers has been known in the offseason to do these retreats, go to different states and countries and sightsee and with different girls. He was engaged for a little while. Joe Klecko came out and said something interesting. He doesn't think that he would work with the younger players. The Jets need a quarterback that will need time to build a relationship with these young players. This is Aaron Rodgers, guys. This guy is one of the more dominant forces at the quarterback position we have seen in the last 25 years. You talk about Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and Peyton Manning, and Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers. Aaron Rodgers is better than all of them. Even Tom Brady. I know everybody's going to sit here and tell me that Tom Brady's the GOAT. And Tom Brady never played with great players. Don't lie to yourselves. Tom Brady played with Hall of Famers at the wide receiver and tight end positions. Tell me how many receivers besides Adams will even be thought of being a Hall of Famer. Not one. If the Jets were a smart organization, they don't go after Aaron Rodgers. It's crazy to say that because Aaron Rodgers automatically gives the Jets the best chance to win a Super Bowl. But Derek Carr, he's cheaper. You don't have to give away any picks. You pay him 35 to $40 million, which is cheaper than Aaron Rodgers. He's 32 years old in the beginning of the season. You sign him to a four- or five-year deal. It's goodbye Zach Wilson or bench Zach Wilson for at least the next three years. If you decide to move him, you move him and get something for him. Aaron Rodgers will only be here for two years. The only reason why he's not retiring because he doesn't want to retire with Tom Brady and J.J. Watt. When he, in five years, gets inducted into the Hall of Fame as a first ballot Hall of Famer, he wants to be the guy, not the third guy the guy. Could Aaron Rodgers still play? Tom Brady could still play. I think Aaron Rodgers wants to go to the best team if there's availability to win another Super Bowl. That Jets situation is, skill player-wise, better than anything he's had in Green Bay probably since that Super Bowl team in 2010. If the Jets do favor Derek Carr... It seems like they are favoring Derek Carr. I think they are, too. And the durability factor, the age, they know they can get him for a four-year deal and he'll stay there. Derek Carr, he was loyal to a bunch of dysfunctional situations with 
with the Raiders and went through all the coaching changes, all the turmoil, bad decisions with ownership, the terrible draft picks that they had, all the off-field issues. And the Jets, yes, there was some locker room drama at the end of the season. They've been big winners this offseason. They've added two good offensive minds to this coaching staff. The offensive coordinator for the Titans has joined their coaching staff. They added Nathaniel Hackett, who is now their offensive coordinator. Nobody thought they were going to land Nathaniel Hackett. A lot of people thought he was going to sit out for this season. He was still getting paid by the Broncos. He only coached the Broncos for one year, but he wants to be a coach. He still wants to coach, and the Jets gave him an offer, and he decided to come back and become the offensive coordinator for this New York Jet team. So the Jets are positioned that if they get a quarterback, yeah, they could be one of the favorites to coming out of the AFC. Absolutely. With the talent that they have and the talent that they have coming back from the injuries, Brees Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker, Mekhi Becton. Mekhi Becton is playing for his fifth year. He's playing for a new contract because the Jets are not giving him his fifth year option. He could have an unbelievable year. This could be one of the best Jets teams we've seen since the 1969 New York Jets. Since Super Bowl three, This is definitely the best young team we've seen since then. And they have guys all over the board that are going to be there for many, many years to come. The Quinton Williams, the Sauce Gardners, the Garrett Wilsons. These guys are going to be staples to this organization for the next seven to ten years. And they have them at key positions, too. Receiver, corner, Elijah Vera Tucker on the offensive line, some good defensive linemen, too. The positions they really have to replace are all ones that are pretty cheap or they come later in the draft. Linebacker, safety, and maybe some interior offensive linemen. That's really it. They're young. And if I was Derek Carr, I would want to go to the Jets. Why would I want to go to an old Saints team? An offensive line that's good, but they're getting old. A defensive line that's good, but they're getting old. The Jets are young across the board. All their key talent, all under the age of 25. That says a lot about what this Jets team could be for the next three to four years. Robert Sala is a good coach. I would trust Robert Sala than what we've seen the Saints do this year. It's interesting where the Jets go with this. I think they're definitely more interested in Aaron Rodgers. But I think as this weekend keeps going, I think the Jets... After sitting down with Derek Carr, Woody Johnson flew to the Combine. Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, and Woody Johnson was taking Derek Carr and his wife and his family out to dinner. I believe Derek Carr, if he's not signed by the end of next week, I think it'll pretty much be set that he is going to the New York Jets before March 15th. It's a great fit, too, for long-term and short-term for the Jets, where they've been so bad with these quarterbacks just drafting and developing for a long time. Why not try a different approach? We've seen quarterbacks come in and new teams and quick fix it, not for the biggest results all the time, but for a good trajectory and the Jets need to head towards that team culture. Automatically, he is the best quarterback the Jets ever had. Four times he's had over 4,000 yards. Practically every single part of his career, he's thrown over 3,300 yards or more. His rookie season, he threw almost 3,300 yards. There are not many Jet quarterbacks that have thrown over 3,000 yards. This guy's done it every year on bad teams, except maybe one or two. So I wouldn't be mad if the Jets signed Derek Carr. I wouldn't be mad if the Jets didn't give up the world for Aaron Rodgers. They're going to get one of them. Whoever they bring in, it will be a good fit for the New York Jets. As far as the New York Giants are concerned, there's a lot of concerns with this. Daniel Jones is not budging. His new agent is not budging on $45 million a year. I don't know what Joe Shane is going to do. It makes a lot of sense that he signs Saquon and Dexter Lawrence to a long-term deal. It doesn't make 
any sense to give Daniel Jones on his fifth year an extension until he does it back-to-back years. He had a great season last year. I think Daniel Jones proved to everybody he could be a franchise quarterback. There's only three quarterbacks that threw over 3,000 yards and ran over 600 yards. And two of them are superstar quarterbacks. Allen and Hurts. Now, I've preached for Daniel Jones since the day the Giants drafted him. Everybody wanted to throw Gettleman to the Sharks, to the Crocodiles, to the Alligators. I told everybody he got it right. I believe Daniel Jones will be the best quarterback in that class. And slowly but surely, he's starting to prove that he is. Maybe Dable helped him move forward. The quarterback whisperer did it for Josh Allen. Why couldn't he do it for Daniel Jones? Daniel Jones needs to do it for back-to-back years. If he does it back-to-back years, he is going to make more than 45 million. He's going to make 50 to 55 million with the new Amazon deal that the NFL is going to put towards the cap in 2024, which is going to put the money up eight or nine million. The quarterbacks are going to win. Dexter Lawrence, to me, is the most important piece to sign. He's your best defensive player. He's your leader. He's everything. He's the Michael Strahan, the Justin Tuck of that defensive line. Saquon's a great player, and it's very hard to fill in how great of a season he had last year. But you can find a running back in any round. You can find a free agent running back like a Kareem Hunt that will be cheaper. Kareem Hunt will probably ask for between nine and ten million. Saquon wants thirteen to fourteen million. But again, Saquon Barkley is a giant, and the organization, the Maras, the Tishes, they love him. So if that's the case, you give Saquon a three-year extension. You pay him thirteen to fourteen million a year. You give him that opportunity to have a fourth-year option. You give Dexter Lawrence that long-term extension because he's going to want between eighty and ninety million. And then you decide on how you want to work this as far is franchising him. There's two ways they can franchise him. One of the ways they can put him up where teams can discuss on a contract with him. The Giants could match it. And if they don't match it, they get two first-round draft picks for him. I don't think anybody's going to give the Giants two first-round draft picks for Daniel Jones right now. But if he has a good year this year, there's a possibility they will. But right now, Daniel Jones did it one year. He needs to do it back-to-back years. I think Daniel Jones obviously believes in his talent because he got a new agent. And an agent is preaching that he should be making top dollar. Go out there and prove yourself. Lamar Jackson did it this year before he got hurt and never came back. If anybody deserves the money, it's Lamar Jackson. He's done it year in and year out. He's won an MVP. Daniel Jones never did. Lamar Jackson deserves it. Daniel Jones, I think that his ability and his speed is a lot more defined. If you see him try to race somebody, he looks slow. But when he plays on the field, he can't be tackled. Unless you're the Philadelphia turf. Knocking himself down. Or running into his own players. Lamar Jackson won an MVP and did it at a peak value without great wide receivers like the Giants have right now. Rashad Bateman was talking about earlier in the week taking shots at the GM and how they didn't develop wide receivers. And Lamar Jackson still played great MVP Pro Bowl caliber every year when he's been healthy amidst all that. Daniel Jones, this is the first year he's really done that. And now he wants $45 million. Lamar Jackson deserves $45 million. Daniel Jones, no. Not yet. $38 million, I would pay Daniel Jones. I would sit and franchise him and then wait until next year. If he has another good year like that, i pay him 50 Which might be the approach of what this new agent is taking if the Giants are not going to want to give Daniel Jones $45 million. And Joe Shane, I would not advocate for you to give Daniel Jones that contract, especially if it's going He's to be a four-year deal. Yeah, he has to do it another year to get in that range. If the Giants do get a receiver either in the draft or in a free agency, that's going to have even higher expectations for you to want to get $45 million because you're going to have to prove a lot more. You're not going to be able to get away with just throwing 15 passing touchdowns and still low 3,000 passing yards, which is a great year considering the lack of receiving talent. But if you have a receiver, 
receiver, that changes a lot. And Joe Shane has to realize that. As far as the other two guys, Dexter Lawrence, I would advocate to pay before the Jets pay Quinn and Williams because that could also set the market again for defensive tackles, mm-hmm. especially young defensive tackles. Saquon, I feel like they're going to let go from everything I've read about with this front office. You Dexter's know, not going to make as much as Quinn Williams. I don't think so, but if Quinn and Williams gets paid a lot more than expected, it still could be a leverage point for Dexter Lawrence, who is young too and not far behind. I could see Quinn Williams take less to help the Jets out. Which would actually help the market for Dexter Lawrence, in a sense. But I'm hoping Joe Shane does it first and not having to take that kind of chance. Williams will probably take between 20 and 22 for a tackle as good as him. That's cheap. You've seen what Aaron Donald has made and what Quinn Williams is. He's 25 years old. He's still not even in the prime of his career yet. When this kid figures it out at 28 years old, defensive linemen could play for years. Yep. Especially interior. You're not going to lose a lot of speed. And he's young and talented and fast and strong. And he's a big body. The Jets are definitely going to extend Quinn Williams. It's just a matter of when and how much. But I think he's going to take less, especially if they go after a quarterback. It's interesting. The Giants and the Jets, even Buffalo Bills, they're going to lose a lot of pieces this offseason. Some secondary players. Is Buffalo going to be as good? They have some good young players, but not as young as everybody thinks they are. P.J. Josh Allen, that hurts their cap, and they're going to lose two or three good veteran players that can help them move forward. So it's going to be very interesting in New York football all the way through the combine this weekend and then the draft in April. When we come back, our special guest, we will be talking to former commanders, Giants linebacker LeVar Arrington here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to WorldWideSportsRadio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths, every single Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our very special guest. Happy to have him on. We are now talking to former commanders and Giants linebacker LeVar Arrington. LeVar, what's up, bud? Hello. How you guys doing? You look good, good, man. You look healthy. You don't look as thick as you were as a player when you played for Penn State and when you were a star linebacker for the commanders. How are you and your family doing from the COVID situation and the health of your family over the last couple of years? No one has been void of being touched by the effects and the impact of COVID, but as far as the immediate family and, and the immediate health, we got through pretty well. We're still dealing with the effects of it and the impact of it, but you just continue to move forward and you adapt and you adjust just like anything else we have to deal with in life. Absolutely. And a player that you looked up to, a guy that you were connected with over the years as an NFL player, Franco Harris passed away. Tell us a little bit about your connection with Franco Harris and maybe a story that you could tell us. He's a Penn Stater, but I'm a Pittsburgh Penn Stater. So I am connected to Franco as an alumni brethren, but also as a tremendously big fan of Franco growing up in Pittsburgh. So funny story, true story, me and Brandon Short, my teammate at Penn State, we were playing in a hoop tournament, a three-on-three tournament, and it got pretty intense, pretty competitive, and we started dunking really hard. We were ripping down rims. Three-on-three tournaments, they hold them on like convention center floors. They're portable type of rims. So we were ripping down rims, and my first time meeting Franco, I guess Franco was the sponsor of the event. And he was like, I'm not going to be able to have any more tournaments <laughs> if you guys keep ripping down my rims. 
<laughs> so that was my first ever time meeting and interacting with Franco. Who knew that many years later, me and Brandon that played against each other and ripped down those rims would end up playing at the alma mater of Franco Harris. You being a big Penn State guy, so what was the football culture really there like in Happy Valley, both when you were a player and now coming back as an alum? I know you said you were at the Rose Bowl as well. So what has those experiences been like on and off the field? I think the football culture at Penn State, it's a community that loves its, its football. It's a community that loves its sports. And I think that we've embraced the idea of being kind of like being in the center of the state. We're the college that represents Pennsylvania as a whole. We're the holder of the key. Our culture has been positive. It's been strong. It's been tested. It's had its moments. But I think it continues to thrive and to grow after everything that set the program back. I think we're in a good place. I think James Franklin has done an amazing job. I look at the hiring of Pat Kraft. I think he is an awesome athletic director for the job and I think they're going in the right direction. They really want to build a champion there. I think it's a great culture and I think that it's one that has continued to evolve and to grow. We are talking to former Commanders and Giants linebacker LeVar Arrington. It's so interesting the preparation for the Combine and everybody is talking about some of these players. Everybody's saying last year's draft was going to be weaker than this year's draft. Now everybody's saying this year's draft? I don't know. Tell the fans a little bit about the preparation of getting ready for the Combine and the Pro Days. What is it like leaving college football and heading to the NFL? It's fun. Some of it is stressful. You get an opportunity to prepare for the next level. It can be a little bit stressful in terms of wondering where you're going to end up or if you're going to even end up anywhere if you got to do it through free agency. There's a lot of things to think about, but you still have completed a journey. And while you're preparing for combines and pro days and what that looks like taking you into your future, I think you got to really take a good look at what you've been able to accomplish. I mean, you're part of a very small percentage of people. I was always trying to be the best. I'm sure that's how a lot of these guys are. They're trying to be the best. So there's going to be a lot of work. There's going to be a lot of preparation. The most important thing really is just staying grounded, not losing yourself in what the current situation calls for, which you'll have agents that are either already involved or trying to be involved. You pick up new people every day as you're getting closer to that goal. So you just got to try to maintain keeping things in the proper order and the proper perspective as you move through the process. But they should enjoy it because it's one of the dopest job interviews that you could possibly be a part of. What was the biggest surprise of your combine experience? And what is something that you think these new prospects should be aware of? I just think you got to relax. There's no surprises. You're not going to get caught. I got drug tests. We got to do this type of testing. You have to do these type of interviews. Everything that you have to know going into it, you're aware of it. So it's just preparation. Just maintain being yourself. What you did was good enough for you to get to where you are. If you need to improve in some category, Clearly, you don't want to be out here street racing and stuff like that. But being yourself has gotten you to this point. And changing who you are now, there's no reason to do it. You risk presenting yourself in an incorrect way. So just be yourself, but be prepared, understanding that this is indeed a job interview. We heard talking to former commanders and Giants linebacker LeVar Arrington. What was it like having your name called in the first round as the second pick of the Washington Redskins as a top prospect with all the years that you were over there in Penn State putting up the numbers and then becoming one of those linebackers that were called in the top three? It was empowering. I thought it was the completion of a chapter, a promise that I kept to my parents that I would always work to be the best that I could be. They got a tangible reward. I think it was more about my mother and my father in that moment than it really was even about for 
me. I thought it would be more so about me, and I thought there might be tears, but I was just ready to play. When they called my name, I was like, all right, DC, like this is what it's <laughs> going to be. Like, let's get right with it. But just felt really happy. My father's a wounded warrior. My mother's a missionary. She's given much of her life to helping special education kids and not in special ed, more so during the drug epidemic. So she was helping crack babies and all kinds of different things. She was really deep in the community. And just what my mom and dad represented for them to have an opportunity to see success personified through something that they were a part of. That was probably what felt the best about the moment taking place. You were one of my favorite players coming out of college. A lot of people compared your skills coming out of college to a player that played for the New York Giants, and you had the opportunity to play for the Giants for a little bit, and that was Lawrence Taylor. When you came out of college, people were comparing your skills and your ability to Lawrence Taylor. When you look at your career, and you had a pretty good career with some of the injuries that really held you back, but what you did on the football field was still a three-time pro bowler, two-time second-team all-pro player. You were a fantastic player. You had a lot of different injuries that slowed you down early in your career. What was it like putting up the numbers and doing the things that you wanted to do as an NFL player? Let's start at the beginning. When you play the way that I was able to play and was utilized the way I was utilized in college, it did draw those comparisons. It's interesting because our games were vastly different. He was more of a defensive end playing linebacker. Mm -hmm. I was more of a linebacker playing linebacker. I could pass rush, but true to my DNA, I was a middle linebacker for my entire high school career. I went to weak side backer when I went to college. So a lot of the things that I was able to do was from sideline to sideline and we blitzed. So I think it drew a lot of comparisons to Lawrence Taylor because I was blitzing and I was getting to the quarterback. I was making very athletic plays. And I think that that's what kind of created the narrative that I was comparable to him. But LT could cover, LT could do it all. To the true of heart, he was a pass rusher. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do that very often in the league. I was more like a Carlton Banks in the pros and how I was used. In college, I could see how I would be compared to him because I was impacting the games. LT was an impact player. I was impacting the games. But when I got to the pros, my job description changed. I was used as a strong side backer. When you're a strong side backer, you take on tight ends. You're taking on a blocker. You're making contact the moment the ball is snapped. So it's not like you're reading. It's not like I'm moving as a pass rusher. I'm setting the edge. And a lot of these dudes is bigger than you. Like, I'm out that bad boy first out the gate fighting for my <laughs> life. I'm not using athleticism. I'm learning how to have hand-to-hand -hand combat. Mm. So all in all, I made three Pro Bowls under three different defensive coordinators. Yes. Show me that in the history of the NFL. I was a first selection to the Pro Bowl. I was a second team All-Pro. You know, I had a different defensive coordinator for those three years. And then the year after that, that's when I injured my knee and I just never really got back on track. But no excuses. I love my career. I was able to accomplish quite a bit and I have no regrets. There's some things that I didn't like that took place, but I have no regrets on what my pro career was. So a lot has been made this year, especially, of grass fields versus the turf field, and you played on uh, natural grass field at FedEx Field, one that's always had some issues with a lot of major injuries. Where do you stand on that whole debate and also FedEx Field? Is that something that has to be renovated at this point? I haven't really paid too much attention to FedEx <laughs> Field. I know they've been trying to get this deal passed to build a new stadium. I've always been a proponent for natural grass just because just as much as people can say it can 
shouldn't be detriment to people's health. I look at it from the perspective of if it's handled correctly, if it's maintained correctly, it's safest. It's a natural surface. You can make the surface fast, but the surface can be a little forgiving where you might need to be able to get your foot up out of the ground. You can do it. So I've always been a grass guy, but I also know that technology is changing. People are trying to be more cost effective in how they do things. So you've come up with all of these different synthetic type of surfaces. I don't know which one is the right one. I don't know which ones are the wrong ones. I'm so far removed from being on the surface. But if you're seeing the data show that the same type of injuries are taking place <laughs> and you can relate it to the surface that they're playing on or the shoes that they're wearing, then you got to take a good look at it. We are talking to former Commanders and Giants linebacker LeVar Arrington. I grew up a big Clinton Portis fan. I followed him when he played for the Broncos. Then he went over there to Washington. His pizzazz, his costumes, his hats, his crazy outfits. What was it like playing with Clinton Portis? Tell us a story to understand the type of personality Clinton Portis was off the field. CP was a charismatic dude. He was like the little brother that would always keep everything exciting and keep it going. He was a youthful soul. Didn't take things too seriously. But one thing that I really enjoyed about CP was his work ethic. Dude came to work to work. He wanted to be great. He didn't just rest on the laurels of anything else, any prior type of accomplishments. He was trying to be as good as he could be and was trying to win, which was something that sometimes could be kind of foreign at the point in time you get into the league. But CP was good, man. CP was good people. He's one of them you boys. It was three of them. <laughs> it was Santana and Sean Taylor. They all hung together. You couldn't have picked a better three to have as teammates. Speaking of one of the best safeties, you had the opportunity to play with Sean Taylor. Tell us a little bit about the type of player he was. I think one of the more untalked sung heroes of the Washington Commanders, AK Redskins, of the time when you played. What type of player was Sean Taylor? I don't know that he was unsung. He Young was a people bad don't know boy. who he is. Everybody knew mm. what Sean Taylor mm. was, so I don't think he was unsung or underrated or mm. underappreciated. When you look back on the type of player he was, it broke the mold. There were guys like a Steve Atwater, the big safety, big thumper. Mel Blunt broke the mold at cornerback for size. Mel Blunt's probably the same size as Sean Taylor was. Mm. But when you talk about pure athleticism and range, I've never seen anything like it. I think that's what set him apart from anyone that you could compare him to. Now, obviously, he didn't play long enough to solidify itself. But my gosh, the potential that you saw that was there that should have been, it was unbelievable. And sometimes it's hard to appreciate how crazy it is when you're in it. I mean, I had a lot going on when Sean got there. So I didn't even really get to appreciate it until I was out of it. Mm. until I was removed from Washington to just kind of just watching. And it wasn't for long, but he was a special dude. So we actually had two of your teammates in Washington on our show yes, recently, just uh, three months ago. Fred Smoot, a funny guy, great personality. <laughs> Drove Errol crazy a little bit at Yes, he point, did. So. He attacked me, but I love him. He so loved me. Both him and also John Jansen, who mm -hmm. actually does a lot yeah. of work now with Michigan. One of their analysts, broadcasters, another funny guy as well. Both being very highly of you. So uh, what were they like Good as teammates, dudes. both on and off the field? They're both the same way that they 
are. Fred Smoot is a very boisterous, big personality. John Jansen has a very stoic, like your dad type of vibe to him. That's who they were as players. Funny story about John. He's a Michigan guy. I'm a Penn Stater. I want to first training camps, how me and him got so close, we would always end up being ready to fight. And I can remember one practice, the practice ended and he grabbed my face mask. So I grabbed his face mask. So we're grabbing each other's face masks. Everybody is taking a knee. The coach is down there waiting to talk and we're just still grabbing our <laughs> face mask. Meeting takes place. Coach breaks us for the practice. We're still holding our face mask. Nobody wanted to let go of the other one's face mask. And it was basically that inner squad rivalry and that competitive nature. Nobody between the two of us wanted to be outdone. And that was the foundational piece of me and John Jansen's relationship. We challenged each other to be the best that we could be, both on and off the field. He has some personality, yeah. so I could He's see that. He's a cool dude. He's yeah. a really cool dude. He was throwing his hat to get the head coach of the Detroit Lions at the time, right after Jeff Saturday got hired. So he might have been the positive spark the Lions needed, because the Lions went on a big winning streak after that and almost made the playoffs. He's been trying to push himself to be the head coach of the Detroit Lions. It doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon, but we're no. rooting for him, and I told him if he ever gets a chance, Speedy will be his defensive coordinator, I'll be his offensive coordinator, and there we go. Who are those guys? We are talking to former commanders and Giants linebacker LeVar Arrington. You had a chance to go to New York. You were one year away from winning the Super Bowl, but you had the chance to play for Tom Coughlin. You had a chance to see Eli Manning. What was it like playing for the New York Giants in 2006? It was pretty cool seeing Michael Strahan, knowing he was a legend. I played against these dudes every year, too, so I was familiar, but being in the locker room with them was definitely different. It was nice. The environment was a professional environment. You could tell it was an environment that was situated for guys to thrive, which I really enjoyed that. I just hate that I had that injury take place with my Achilles mm -hmm. tendon and cut my season short. Then after that, I was just telling Coach Coughlin, I'll come back and try, but I'm in pain. They gave me the grace of releasing me from the team, didn't want anything back. They treated me first class in New York. Some people have mixed bag feelings about Tom Coughlin, man. I thought he was a stand-up dude. thought he was a man of his word. I thought he was a man about his family. He was about his business and he was fair. That's really all you can really ask for when you meet somebody that you're working with and working for. I had a great experience in New York. I thought the players, my teammates were awesome. They were first class. The city was pretty dope. It was a great experience. I hate that it ended short. I would have had two Super Bowls if I'd have made it through my contract. Yeah. I might have regained form. I might have gave you maybe one more Pro Bowl. I might have gave y'all at least maybe one more All-Pro. So if I'm a four-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champ. Maybe a Hall of it, Famer. It could have possibly <laughs> been a call. But life is such, I at least know that I chose the right organization. You don't get to choose if you're good enough in college, but you get to choose if you have an opportunity to become a free agent. So I was able to choose, choose New York. They chose me, and I wish I could have gave them more, but it is what it is. So you play your entire career in the NFC East. Everyone talks about the NFC East as that intense bloodbath type division. What was that rivalry end of it like, both on and off the field? And was there any moment that stood out to you in a particular game? The first time I played against Dallas in Dallas, Larry Allen ran into my chest, and the sweat jumped off of my jersey. The game hadn't even got going good yet. So wherever those sweat particles were, he knocked them out from the depths of the sole of my jersey and I couldn't breathe for like maybe a second or so it was like <gasps> and then I realized this is for real this whole Dallas thing this is for real and I want to say that's the game I knocked out Troy Aikman woke me up that man hit me so hard woke me up 
And I was up. I think I was up the rest of my career. Like, I wouldn't sleep the rest of the way. It was definitely physical in the NFC East back then. The game of football was a lot more physical back then. Not only the NFC East, but the NFL in general has continued to evolve. And it's definitely a much more finesse-driven game. And I'm not saying that as a detracting statement. I think that the athletic ability and the prowess of these guys are continuing to go up. So you're seeing finely tuned athletes do finely tuned things on the football field so while I would love for it to maintain being more physical I still look at it and find the entertainment value and how they're playing in today's game too we are talking to former commanders and Giants linebacker LeVar Arrington who was your favorite player to play with in your whole career as a seven-year NFL player or maybe college player Penn State and who was the team you loved to hate when you played them in the NFL Brandon Short all time is my favorite teammate easily hands down cat that's my dude one of the dopest dudes I've ever known and just learned so much from him and enjoyed our time together. It was like the best, the greatest time in my life when I played with him. Team Dallas. I was waiting for you to say it. Every single NFC East player that we interviewed, as long as they weren't a cowboy, they all said they hated Dallas more than any. Why did you hate him so much? Our rivalry was legit, though. Mm-hmm. You could say the Giants or the Eagles said Dallas, but nah, ours was legit. Cowboys and you Washington, know, yeah. That was the true rivalry. It was coming to an end. It was coming to a dramatic end, uh, closing. Nonetheless, that was one of the rivalries in the league. That just mm-hmm. wasn't a rivalry for our teams. That was a historical rivalry. So it was definitely Dallas. How bad are the fans over there? Because there's a lot They're of not people. That bad. No? You know, the Eagles fans were the ones that were <laughs> the wildest fans ever, man. I was talking about Fred Smoot earlier. He was taking shots at the Eagles fans. And then we had Brandon yeah. Jacobs who said he loved the Philly fans but couldn't stand the Dallas fans. That's interesting. <laughs> Philly fans was always the worst. They got jail cells. They got hold cells in the stadium. They know they get it in. They definitely do, especially when they won the Super Bowl. They're the only fans out there that would go on the streets and eat horse crap. When you see a fan do that, you know they're a little crazy. They were climbing everything in Arizona, too, even before the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, they had to grease everything up. They had to keep their tradition going up. I don't understand that. Why they so into climbing, man. Like, <laughs> we're winning. Let's go climb. Weird. Suicide, man. They have Commit to find suicide. a new way to make it seem like, just when you thought that we're not going to be the craziest fan guys, we'll go back to being the hooligans that those were, those inner city Eagles fans. Oh, man. I know a lot of Eagles fans, like, growing up in oh. Connecticut, they even say that the inner city Philly fans are just so crazy with the stuff they do. Eagles fans. <laughs> I got some stories, but it's not even appropriate. That Eagles sounds like a good, accurate description of Eagles fans. I'm a Jet fan, yeah. and as yeah. a Jet fan, I had the opportunity to go to a couple of Philadelphia Eagle games. And I grew up a Jet fan, and my second favorite team was the Eagles because I was a huge Donovan McNabb fan. I followed him in Syracuse. I actually had the opportunity at the Super Bowl to sit down and have a conversation with him. He was surprised about how much I knew about him as a player. And when he tells me about the fans and how much he loved the fans and how they support him, even though at the end of his career on Philadelphia, they booed him at some point. He is one of the most beloved players in Eagles history. Very well respected. And just like you, LeVar, everybody we have spoken to that know you personally say that you're a good guy and a guy that has worked really, really hard to get where he is today. So we really appreciate you, man. I know you've been very, very busy. We'll get you on again before the season. We'll talk a little Washington football. I see in your career you did some broadcasting. I'm working a little bit. Yeah, there you go, man. Trying to maximize my opportunity. You look good, man. You look healthy. Thank thank you. You look in good good shape. Not too bad. No. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Say hello to the fam. Thank you guys, man. I appreciate y'all having me on.
And we'll talk to you soon, bud. Take care. LeVar, a.k.a. the Beast King. Arrington, thank you to LeVar. He was fantastic. Great stories. Great interview. If you guys missed it, you could check it out on Apple Podcast. He was fantastic. Three-time pro bowler. Two-time second team all-pro player. Fantastic. And loves to take shots at the Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles fans. And a Penn State alumni. A guy that has represented Penn State since he's left. LeVar Arrington, a great human being, great player. When we come back, Chaz and our friend John, the best handicappers. We have Moneyline Mania when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. Great shows, great content, and you can read the stories we post up. Check out the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every single day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our handicappers, we do this every single week. We call this Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania with Jazz and the crew. We've got Chaz and John. Chazzy, what's up, man? Reno Johnny to you. He's moving up the board on the Vegas Insider. I don't have a lot of respect for guys that sell their plays. I'm documented. I can't lie about my record. I can't lie about how well I've done 80% or get on Twitter and say I'm the best in the world. Uh, I'm very transparent with what I do. And if I lose, I lose. If I win, I win. But everything I put in is 100%. So for me, it's documentation. And it's really hard to prove that in the world of social media. If you get on Twitter right now, I'm a documented 56% winner. Since November of 2021, in that span, if you got on Twitter, and if you know anything about sports betting, 56% is paying the bills. That's actually top. If you on Twitter, you would think I'm terrible because everybody goes 80%, 70%. Everybody wins all the time. Transparency is big in this business. And so if you're going to sell your plays, and I do it because I work hard at it and I want people to make money, but it takes my time. But if you are going to do that, you better have a lot of documentation behind you to say that this is what you do and you have proof instead of just throwing out random numbers to people. You don't need to prove it to me because I've known you for a long, long time. But if you're struggling, when you're starting to to be mean to your dog because you lost the bet. When you're throwing things or swearing or drinking more than you normally should, it's because you're trying to do something that's very hard, but you're not able to give it 100% because you have a job. You have a family. You have pets. If you're at a point where sports betting is making you angry, you're not doing it right. Everybody wants to say, I had a winner. How many times have I told you the play didn't come from me, it come from somebody else, right? Most of the time. Okay, give me some. The guy joining us this week is just one of them. I'm blessed to have him, but I work hard at those relationships. I keep in touch with these guys. Even if I'm not betting, I'm cheering for them. I don't care. I've seen people that they relish when other people lose. I said, what? What kind of world are you creating for yourself when you want bad things to happen to other people? Be thankful for them. I tell people all the time, I don't wake up and just throw darts and win. At my computer, my wife gets mad, wins, it starts paying the bills, and it starts kind of being okay. My, my little too far line is if you lose a bet and you're starting to tag and DM the teams and wish ill upon some of the players, I think we got to stop, you know. Yeah, you crossed the line I, I lost, if you're I've lost a, lot a player because he missed yeah, a free throw. I, I've lost a lot of free throw misses, especially in college. Move on to the next day, hours a day, man. It's full 
三家。This is a weird time of year. Getting closer to where there's going to be some clarity in what we talk to, because we do have March Madness, and the word is just a perfect word. And I was blessed to like 12 years in a row. I, I did the whole West Regional, wherever the games were, we went. The fans come alive and. The stadiums are packed. It's a really great time of year. I very much am looking forward to it. And then, of course, we slide right through March, March 30th, opening day. Now, you guys, we love talking Yankees and Mets with you. Jonathan, who's probably the best baseball handicapper, maybe I would say him and John from GMF are, are the two best baseball handicappers that I know. Baseball is also a very niche sport. There's not a lot of people that do it. Probably 30 cappers at Vegas Insider and 20 give out baseball plays on a consistent basis. It's probably our least seller to not a lot of people are buying baseball plays. I just found a way to make a lot of money on it with the way that the lines are set up. Typically, you got a lot of minus 200s, plus 150s, and just the way the value sets up. I found a way to make money on it. Baseball's changed the rules, though. A lot of it's people were bored. This is going to be the first year of the pitch clock. It'll be interesting to see how that correlates to what odds makers make lines. Certain pitchers, it's going to be a totally new ballpark for them where you got 15 seconds. If you're a batter, you don't got time to step out, adjust the gloves, adjust the crotch, and get back in. Like, it's going to be a big adjustment. That might actually open up the sport to some new fans. Like, there's not going to be a waiting period. And I think that's what kind of turned a lot of people off from baseball. So, we are going to enter this new era and see how. How it kind of correlates to betting and lines in the markets for that. I'm interested in it. I personally don't like it. I love baseball. For me, baseball is strategy and statistics. Football is throw a bomb sometimes. Basketball, school play basketball. Baseball is a lot more thinking, a lot more intricate in how the game develops. This is going to be an interesting dynamic for it, though. It is going to open it up. I think we get new fans. I think we're going to get younger fans, and you're going to get more excitement for baseball. I think baseball sometimes is a little too slow for the average fan. Well, plus there's 162 baseball games, right? How many? NBA games and how many NHL games you add those two seasons together? Two above a baseball season, 164 to 162. I would trim it down. I would probably go about 130. I don't think you need 162 games. Get into the playoffs and we've had it. We're having cancellations, not for rain, but for snow. I don't think baseball should be played out 20 degree weather. Cut the season down by 30 games and you're going to get pretty much the same results. Cream rises to the top. The sport's amazing. I'm excited. We're going to make some money. Good. Baseball I actually started betting. Very small bets. That's the smart way to you look at the season the outliers are snow in april and snow in october the most important game in the year the fans are wearing gloves and scarves it's a summer sport and now you're going into snow cut the season out i think you're going to be great money right you're going to cut down on tickets the third string shortstop on an mlb roster is making 2.7 you're going to need 200 games to pay everybody or maybe that 27 beer just isn't enough maybe it needs to be 40 <laughs> two sunday games that i think are going to be intriguing one of them boston versus the new york knicks the other one is going to be the phoenix suns versus dallas mavericks you look at the trade deadline phoenix dallas both those teams arguably made all the moves Kyrie irving goes into dallas after brooklyn says yeah we're going to disband everybody phoenix gets kevin durant those two moves by far they are the biggest moves of the trade deadline in the nba now they get to face each other kevin durant's finally got back in the lineup now you're going to play the dallas mavericks and i think the phoenix suns are the better team i think that was a better move luka Doncic is so ball dominant needs the ball 
in his hands. So does Kyrie Irving. You have a guy like Steph. You have a guy like Bradley Beal. Good without the basketball. They can move off ball. They can create space, create an opportunity for them to catch and shoot. But you're getting a guy that needs the ball as much as Luka. That's why they haven't done well. I like Phoenix in this situation. Kevin Rant does need to win. It's not because we're going to put all that pressure on him. He kind of created that for himself. You were up 3-1 against the Golden State Warriors and you blew it. So what did you do? You went and chased rings. And since that point in time, all you've done is chased rings. You went to Golden State and won a couple rings. You go to Brooklyn, team up with Kyrie Irving and try to go win again. Doesn't happen. Now you're down in Phoenix. Why? Because they have a chance to win a ring. So it does matter because you created that legacy for yourself. I expect big things out of Phoenix Suns now. Now that he's healthy, if he can stay healthy, I expect big things out of him and I like them in this spot against Dallas. I have Phoenix too. I think Phoenix is one of the better teams right now in the NBA. Adding Kevin Durant, it puts him over the top. What scares me going into the playoffs is Kevin Durant, who's been out for a significant amount of time, playing on a new team, a new offense, a new defense. He's got a transition. The season's almost over. It doesn't give Kevin Durant enough time to really sink into this offense. But with the talent that they have and Chris Paul and Devin Booker and the talent that they have and even their bench, I absolutely like Phoenix in this game. I don't trust Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is a cancer. And go look at their record since Kyrie Irving has been there. It hasn't been good. Even when he's on the court with Luka at the same time, they're not winning games at a rate that you would expect them to win. I think Kyrie Irving is a hell of a basketball player. Best point guard in the NBA. He might have the best handles in the history of the NBA. It hasn't correlated to wins here for the Dallas Mavericks. Luka also needs the ball. There's only 24 seconds to a shot clock. So who's going to get the basketball? I think they're having a disconnect. I think you need a lot of time. These two players are going to need some time to even gel. And I believe it's not going to happen because I think Kyrie's going to leave anyway. I take it back to LeBron James with the Miami Heat in the first year. Why didn't they win? Because at that time, there was no erection between LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. In this situation, when you need a shot, who are you giving the ball to? Because I think both of them, great. I think they're going to kind of have that disconnect there. I think it's a bad move for the Dallas Mavericks, and they kind of went all in. I don't think he's going to stay there. I think the move is ultimately going to go where? They're not giving him a max contract. There's no way Mark Cuban is giving him a max contract, and I will go back to last year when they had a chance to re-sign Jalen Brunson. They really struck out on that. Letting him go to free agency really killed him. Look what he's doing with the Knicks right now. He's becoming a superstar right in front of our eyes in New York, one of the hardest places to play in all of basketball, and he's putting up the numbers. So I think Mark Cuban sitting back and saying, you know what, I should have doubled that money, brought him back over here with Dallas because he is not a ball-dominant player. He likes to pass the ball. He likes to use the players around him. It just so happens right now he's transitioned into the best player for the New York Knicks. And he is a player that when I look at what the Dallas Mavericks need, they need three-point shooters. And Jalen Brunson provided that. You take Luka Doncic, you surround him with a couple three-point shooters because he takes so much energy. He can drive. It's there for you all day. I think Jalen Brunson was a big piece. He came on late last year. Streaky guy. Some of those playoff games, he would go two for eight or he'd go five for five. But I thought he was a big piece. I think Luka does so much for that team. And they're like a piece away. I just don't think Kyrie was that piece. Who do you have for the Celtics and the Knicks on Sunday? I took the Knicks last time they played. They just played the Boston Celtics last week. Last week, they beat Boston in New York. I'm going to go the other way this time. Give me the Boston Celtics four or five point spread. Depending on availability. Again, the NBA, that's the toughest part about the NBA. Full disclosure, I, I think the NBA is a product that gives just an entertainment value product is terrible. Mm. I think it's, it's the worst of the four major American sports. I like the Celtics and I don't know who's playing. I don't care what the projections are because an hour before tip-off, some guys might be, I'm going to take the day off. I want to get rest up. It's a big rivalry game and I would expect that to happen, but it does. It's terrible for the NBA, for the game, but 
if everybody's playing the way they're supposed to and as healthy, I like the Celtics here to come back on top. They remember. It was a close game. The Knicks were wired wire better than them in that game. I'm going to flip the tables here, take the Boston Celtics, get a little revenge on the New York Knicks, an easier win for them on their home court. You have them both on the line? I'll take both on the line. I think Phoenix is probably going to be a slight underdog. You're looking at minus one or two either way. For the Celtics, you're going to be laying a little bit more, maybe four or five. I'll take them on the money line. I might parlay them. Take them on the spread, but I might parlay them on a money line. Yeah, we talked about this previously, and I actually have a term for the wagering style, and I call it Moneyline Mania. Because what I look at is, what are the possible outcomes? I've done my handicap, and I know who I like. So now, it becomes, how do I bet it? And Jonathan will tell you, that's almost more important, is how you bet versus who you bet, because sometimes you could have the right team and, and not do it right. But what I look at is, when I have the chance to Moneyline parlay a team, where a parlay normally is plus 260, so two and a half to one, you might get even money on this, but... What it does is if they don't cover, you get all your money back. So that little bitty win covers the parlay that you got. So say you're betting $20. You bet a $20 two-teamer with those teams, given the points, and then a $20 two-teamer without the points on the money line. And one of them covers it, and one of them you get a bad beat. A last-minute three at a half court that's meaningless to the entire game, but it's the one in the old days where the announcers would say, oh, that shot was important to some people because they wouldn't talk about sports betting. You're going to win the money line, so you get that money back. You break even for the day. If your bad days are breaking even, gentlemen, that's great. I saw this TikTok. He had a game. He had him at plus one. They're ahead. Ten seconds. They take a shot. They get the lead. Plus one. Now he's up one. He's like, perfect. Just play defense. Uh, they foul. 2.5 seconds on the clock. So the guy makes the first one. And this TikToker says, don't make it. I want to push. And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm in that situation, I'm lucky to be in that situation. Make the shot. Because what I don't want is overtime. And I lose the game outright. It's hard enough to win this business he yells don't make the shot i'm not trying to push he actually does miss the free throw they get the offensive rebound put back they win by two and he lost i'm like right there you just learned how sports betting i, I had a game can't push take your push i had a game where my team was winning by one and a half points and the other team had the ball time is running out and they shoot and there's like 20 seconds they miss him so i get the ball and i got the lead i'm covering i got the ball there's 20 seconds left and the shot clock's off and the son of a gun like with eight seconds left drives to the middle gets an offensive foul they come down and they score a point with one second left to beat me so yeah it's brutal but i wanted to mention we got a full load of games tomorrow in this xfl and i love the rock i'm a big rock fan but there's just not enough quarterbacks for the NFL, never mind any other L. But remember what Blackhawk West has been doing. He's been betting the overs. Well, the overs are starting to tick up, but there's a game at 1 Eastern, 4 Eastern, and 8 Eastern tomorrow. And I'll be on all those games. But what I'm probably going to do is I'm going to watch what happens in the early first five or six minutes and kind of see, because the overs are ticking up, and now they're 36 and a half, 37 and 35 and a half, which isn't much. But if these teams keep missing those extra points that they're not kicking, they're, they're going for them on the ground, then those overs eventually are going to stabilize. Jonathan mentioned it with the books with the new baseball rules. Sometimes your best bet is to take advantage of it when you got it because the books aren't wrong very often. But there are two hoops games I wanted to talk about. We're looking at March Madness. They got to finish out their conference, their tournaments, 
and then they got to get into the tournament. Now, I know that there was a couple years on the show when we were on the radio, Jonathan was giving us NIT plays and two or three tournaments I didn't even know they had that he taught me about. But we got two games Sunday. We got Purdue at Illinois and Houston at Memphis. Purdue was number one in their last five games, one and four against the spread. But in their last two versus Illinois, they've scored 84 points in both of them. So this is an opportunity where if you're not comfortable with the amount of points they're given, and if a basketball team's given 14 points, you really can't bet the money line. You're going to have to lay $700 to win $100. I wouldn't give $700 to a hooker. I sure <laughs> hell ain't going to give it to my bookie. I'd give it to my wife before I'd give it to my bookie. So, no, you wouldn't even give it to her. <laughs> so there's an opportunity there to, to hop on a team total over. And then the Houston-Memphis game. What do you know about Houston, right? They score a ton of points. Memphis high scoring offense, but in the last nine times these teams have matched up, the under has cashed seven of the nine, and one of them was a push. I've seen Jonathan, because he does seven out of eight a lot, and I've seen him. Boy, does he crow on Twitter when he's seven and one for the day. I want to win. Sunday. Sunday is the last day of regular season for every school. A lot of them are hitting Mount West, I think. Their last day is on Saturday. Nevada had UNLV. That's some Mount West action. Sunday's the last day. I like Penn State to win this game against Maryland. Maryland's coming in as a ranked team. This year, ranked teams on the road have been terrible against the spread against unranked opponents. If you're getting points as a ranked team on the road, home teams like 27 and 14 on this year against the spread. So it's been really great. But I look at Maryland as a team that has won two games on the road. True road games. They won against Louisville, who is dog crap. Dysfunctional. And they won against Minnesota on the road. That's it. Big 10 has a big time home advantage. It's been, it's well documented this year. I believe home teams are hitting at a 65% rate against the spread in the Big Ten. I'm going to stick to that trend. I'm going to stick to Maryland. I've been able to play on the road. Maryland's got some big time wins this year. They had some big time wins but where? At College Park. Now you got to go to Penn State. Maryland, they just lost as well. I like Penn State to come in and kind of stick with the home team trends in the Big Ten. Kind of stick with the unranked welcoming a, a ranked team at home. Just pure like what the numbers are telling you. It's Penn State big for me. Penn State has covered five of the last six in this matchup. This time of year, if you're not paying Jonathan for his plays and you're doing it yourself and you're looking at a team's stats for the entire year, there are 30 games, but if they sucked for the first 20 and they're great in the last 10 and you're using a 30-game average, you can't do that. It's really that classic, what have you done for me lately? I don't always look at head-to-head in terms of giving it a, a lot of credibility because... How many of the kids from seven games ago? Well, we talked about the Houston-Memphis game. It's nine games, so that's two a year. So we're talking four and a half years. So the ninth game in that run of unders, those kids, a lot of them aren't even in school anymore. It's hard to say that's the same team, but you never know. Like Jonathan mentioned, does that locker room get in their head? Is it the crowd because it's a road game? Who knows? You never really know why. A college team, doesn't matter the sport, does what they do because they're still kids. But when you're going into March Madness, start breaking it down and look at the last six, seven, eight games, ten games, maybe two, three, four weeks. That's really the team that's playing now. Don't look at how good they were in October, November, and December because that is going to get you squat in March. It's even more so because when you get into the first couple rounds, not a lot of fans. First round, there's some fans there for sure. 
but it's not what you're going to get as you get into Elite Eight. Final Four is going to be Madhouse. But in those first two rounds, you're playing in empty stadiums. The best huh? teams aren't there. It's tough because most neutral site games happened at the beginning of the year or in their conference tournaments just recently. So you really got to take into account what are you doing for me lately? They just played some conference tournament games that are going to be neutral courts. March Madness is madness. It's, there's a reason they call it that. You're going to get a lot of teams that probably shouldn't win that do. And teams Here's that a problem for you. The attendance at the first round game of the Big Ten Conference Championship versus the attendance at Sunday's Orlando Arlington XFL game. That's minus 110 right there. I don't know if this is true, but apparently the quarterback for the Orlando Guardians was released. The story is he gave the playbook out to another team. I'm not surprised. The line's eight and a half, so that makes sense. They're apparently the worst team diving close in the XFL. The coach, he was basically like, nobody wants to play. I can't make him do what I want to do, and they're just going to do their own thing. And like he was just bashing him on the sideline with the reporter. That's part of the reason why XFL will never live up to the NFL. For the XFL to kind of get to that, in my opinion, you got to partner with the NFL. This is like a feeder team. The G there's League. Eight, it's the G League. The and there's League. eight teams that you would take. One team is going to be like there's four NFL team pick players from there. Make a more NFL impact. Hmm. They're doing too many gimmicks like three-point play and all that kind of stuff. I just feel like they're getting away. They're trying to get a fan base. The NFL, they need to back them. They need to be like, we are about the XFL. Now, for that to work, I think it's going to fail, just like the USFL. I don't even know how they sell a league. Give it two years. Right. They didn't make it. The last time, they didn't make the whole season. They're going to make the whole season this year? Because I'm looking at the fans in the stands, and they ain't buying $18 bears there because there ain't no bears. I don't know how they're going to pay the players. That's why they didn't succeed. Rock's got a bunch of money. He's got other investors. They got money. But at the end of the day, how much can you feed it? I know how much money you got, but like you just can't be throwing away money to have a football league. It doesn't make sense. Before we let you guys go, why don't you guys, again, give us your winners? All Sunday, tomorrow morning, I'm going to take Penn State. It's uh, 12 p.m. Eastern tip-off time. I'm going to take the Phoenix Suns. I'd say 1 p.m. Eastern tip-off time against the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm going to take the Boston Celtics. I'm going to take them spread tip-off around 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Those are my three plays for uh, Sunday. I like the team total over for Purdue. I've got under in Houston, Memphis. And I'm going to keep following Blackhawk West and betting those overs in the XFL game. And again, there's three of them. And if I hit two out of three, guess what? I got more money than I started with. Keep up the good work. Say hello to Camden. As yep. always, John, we will be in touch. Trust me. Chaz, you're the best, as always. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Reno underscore Johnny. That'll be the best follow you've done this week, I guarantee you. Money, line, mania, Chaz and John. Wes will probably be back next week opening his mouth about the Stanley Cup future champions, the Rangers. Money, line, mania, check them out every single week on the Weekend Crunch. When we come back, Manny Machado gets a 11-year, $350 million contract to stay with the Padres, the Yankees. The youngsters, the young bombers look pretty damn good. Volpe, Dominguez, and even Pereza. Every single one of them look really, really good in spring training. What does that do for the Yankees? What does that say about the Yankees? When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, 
Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They're live and in color. You can watch us on our social medias. You can follow us on all our social medias. Read our stories. You can listen to the Sports Loudmouths every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Great guest, great content. Tune in as you can hear the craziness every single week. Manny Machado is now and forever going to be a San Diego Padre. All you Met fans believed after Carlos Correa and the New York Mets backed out of that contract that Manny Machado, it was a foregone conclusion, was going to be the third baseman for the New York Mets in 2024. And ladies and gentlemen, that is not going to happen. Not Stevie Cohen opening up his pockets and paying our friend Manny $350 million for probably nine years and giving him more up top. Manny decides at the age of 31, going to be 32, to take an 11-year deal, which will make him a San Diego Padre till the age of practically 43. Is he going to play to 43? Probably not. But they're going to pay him. And I know all the Mets fans are going to speak about Otani, and that's where he's going to go now. The Mets are going to spend 500, 600. They're going to outbid the Dodgers in San Francisco so they can draw Otani like they did for Verlander and Max Scherzer. Otani is not leaving the West Coast. Losing out on Manny Machado hurts the Mets. I'm sure there'll be other players that become available, maybe not at the talent of Manny Machado. They have to hope that Beatty becomes the defensive player They want him to be this year. He's got pop. He's got power. He can hit for average. He's just not a defensive player. You have to be an outstanding defensive player at third. Beatty is probably, at best, a first baseman. And now with Pete Alonso there, you have no room for him. Then you're going to put him in the outfield. Yeah, corner outfield. Yeah, as a left fielder. It's not easy to go out there when you've barely played in the outfield in your career. And that means they're going to have to rotate either Canna or Marte back yeah. into center field with Nimmo if Nimmo ends up being hurt at any point or somebody has to DH. Sometimes we see Canna DH, but maybe we'll see Beatty DH. So now are you going after Soto? Are the Padres going to let Soto go? And who's to say they don't extend him? For all those Met fans that are sitting here and saying, we have the richest owner in baseball. Who cares? We'll pay for it. He's been doing that for the last two years, guys. Have the Mets made the NLCS? Has the Mets made it to the second round? So spending over a billion dollars in two years, do you think spending another five or $600 million for one player is going to make a difference? The answer is no. And this is what happens when you pay another older pitcher a contract that Max Scherzer Senior citizens. You're not going to have leeway to trade for guys that, one, are going to be more durable. Not that that matters with the Mets. Everyone gets hurt with the Mets anyway, but still has durability track records throughout his career. Just think about this. The Mets have three pitchers on their roster right now. Two of them are going to be 40 years old going into this season. They have three pitchers that are older than any 
of the Yankee starting pitchers on their roster. And the one that the Yankees signed this offseason was the main guy I wanted the Mets to go after, and I would have given him for seven years of $30 billion, Carlos Rodon. Who's only 29 years old. Who's only 29 years old and has been, besides the beginning of his career, has been relatively healthy the last four years and has put up fantastic numbers with two different teams, too. That was the move I was hoping the Mets would make and have some leeway where they can go after a hitter like a Manny Machado or maybe down the road Juan Soto, who's young, durable, and a fantastic contact hitter in addition to power. Or Otani. Again, not as realistic because you're right. He wants to be on the West Coast. But especially now losing out on Correa like a lot of Mets fans wanted, that was Machado was the next one to be thought of, but not anymore. That's going to be something that the Mets are going to have to explore either in quantity, where they're going to have to get two players to get the combined production that are younger, or they're going to have to spread it out with a lot of pitching depth because the Mets do not have a lot of leeway if somebody gets hurt in that rotation, and they're going to have to trust a lot of these younger pitchers to pitch in many different roles. Yep, that's the problem. Because every Met fan is speaking about free agency where they should be worried about their farm system. And that's what I believe Steve Cohen is trying to build. This is something that Brody Van Wagenen didn't really do. This is something that the Mets have lacked year in and year out for the last 15 years. Especially with hitters. And that's why the Mets need to decide on where they're going with this roster. Is this roster going to have a core of players like Nimmo, like McNeil, like Alonzo, like obviously Beatty, guys that came from their farm system. The Yankees did it for years. And they're doing it now with Judge and Torres, which they did trade for, but he never played in the majors. He's still part of their farm system. And now the new guys, the Baby Bombers, the Dominguez's, the Volpe's, the Perezas. These are all guys that came from the Yankees farm system. The core of players that the Yankees are going to start to build around. Who are fantastic young players. Who right now, they're red hot. Every one of them. Dominguez is hitting 288 right now in spring training. He's hit a couple of bombs. Volpe's hitting. He's hitting over 360. Perez is hitting over 300. Shut down defender. This is what you want to see with your young players. Who, by the way, the Yankees were not going to trade. There are plenty of teams that have reached out to the Yankees to get these young guys. They wanted Castilla. You know what they wanted? They wanted Volpe or Pereza. The Yankees were not going to include any of them. Dominguez has been brought up in so many trade rumors. One of them from Pittsburgh, Brian Reynolds. How many times have we heard Dominguez's name be brought up in that trade? And the Yankees said no. So the Yankees believe in these young prospects. They got to prove it on the field. It's just spring training. But they believe... That these three guys are going to be a part of this roster for the next seven to eight years. And they're going to have to have some of them be cornerstones because, like the Mets, the Yankees still have some contracts that are going to be larger for these older players. Now, they're not 40 years old like Max Scherzer, but they still have a lot of big contracts that are for a long period of time, especially the end of Aaron Judge's contract. You have Garrett Cole, who does have an opt-out, but still, that's going to be a long He's time. not opting out. I don't think he will either, and neither will Giancarlo Stanton. They're going to have to get leeway with some positions with young players, and Good thing that a lot of them experimented with at the end of last season when the Yankees had all those injuries and they were struggling right after the All-Star break. But some of the bright spots were those young pieces that they realized they're more Major League ready than they thought. So the Yankees have that going for them at least. Whether they can save off the injuries will be another question. We've seen the Yankees prospects not develop as well as they could have at times because of injuries. But with the Yankees' current injuries on their Major League roster and throughout their bullpen last year, they have to trust a lot of those young guys. You see King coming back this year. He's going to be probably 
probably the future closer for the New York Yankees. You saw what that bullpen was when he hurt himself last year, and he was out for the rest of the season going into the second half. That was the best bullpen in baseball last year before he got hurt. And then they lost six or seven guys going into the second half, and they fell apart. And you saw it in the playoffs. They used three guys practically in the whole playoffs. If the Yankees could stay healthy this year and these young players slowly – be called up. I think Perez is going to make the team in the beginning of the year. Volpe will probably be sent down, and so will Dominguez. Both of them, I think, slowly will be called up sometime this year. I think Dominguez will be called up this year. I think Volpe will be called up this year. And I think the Yankees are going to depend on these young guys moving forward. Everything you've heard Brian Cashman say, everything you heard Hal Steinbrenner say about some of these young kids, they believe in these guys. Brian Cashman had no thoughts in his mind to trade any one of these three. I'm looking forward to seeing what these guys are going to produce for the rest of spring training. And if you're a Yankee fan, you should be excited. They didn't go out there and spend on guys besides Rodon this offseason and their own players. They brought in a pitcher that they believed was going to help this rotation moving forward. He's a left-hander. They've got two good left-handers now. Cortez, he's still under arbitration. Now you had Rodon. To Garrett Cole and Savarino, and then whenever Frankie Montas comes back, if he comes back this year, if not, you have Herman. You have players. You have pitcher Schmidt could start this year. So you have some guys that'll stand out when it comes to this rotation. So you've heard it from many different people, many different baseball analysts believe, including Maxwell, who was on our show this past week. He believes that nobody is going to beat the Yankees this year, especially in the American League. He thinks that the Yankees are the team to beat. Now, every year the Yankees are always put up on the top three, top four teams, teams to beat. But this year, there's just something about this team. Aaron Judge becoming the captain. Rodon, $27 million for a power lefty who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball for the last two or three years. Taking pressure off of Garrett Cole, not even depending that Garrett Cole is the ace. You can transition Rodon as your ace, and Garrett Cole is your number two. It takes pressure off of Garrett Cole, maybe makes Garrett Cole pitch better. I think the Yankees are in very good shape. These young baby bombers, the Dominguez's, the Perezas, the Volpe's, These guys are going to stand out as Yankees for the next 10 years. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? A little Knicks and Crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. Little Dr. Trey, baby. Hey. Boom. Ring, ding, dong. Ring, ding, 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 dong. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speeder. Yes, the Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, all our stories. Check out our listings every single week as we are live and in color throughout our social medias. You can listen to our live stream throughout the week. Best digital network in the country. Some of the best shows, including our show, which airs every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. called The Sports Loudmouth. It is funny. It's crazy. Great guests and just absolutely nutty callers. So definitely stay tuned and listen to that throughout 
the week. And now, ladies and gentlemen, before we get into crunch time, I want to say one thing. I am not a Julius Randle fan. I never thought he was a great player. He's not a great playoff player. We all know that. Julius Randle has been playing out of his mind since the All-Star break. Maybe it's Jalen Brunson, who to me has been as good of a player, as good as an acquisition the Knicks have ever had. That says a lot about Rose and what he knows what he's doing. Giving contracts, affordable contracts to R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. Not going after big names like Donovan Mitchell. Now, if they had Donovan Mitchell, maybe they're even better. What I do know is ever since they added Jalen Brunson, it's taken pressure off of Julius Randle. And Julius Randle is just absolutely playing. Tom Thibodeau right now, if you were to ask me, he's up for coach of the year again. This team should not be where they are. They made a trade at the trade deadline for Hart. Hart has been a great acquisition. Leader, defender, does everything you need him to do. These young players, Emmanuel Quigley is up for sixth man of the year. It's crazy. He can't miss. They have one of the best benches in the NBA. They're amongst the league's top 10 in defense and offense. It's everything we expected when the Knicks brought in Rose and Tom Thibodeau. Everything. And it all had to do with a point guard that wanted to come here, wanted to play in New York, took less money in Jalen Brunson. The first Nick to win Player of the Month since Carmelo Anthony. Do you know how many Knicks have done it? He's number four. Patrick Ewing, Bernard King, Carmelo Anthony, and now Jalen Brunson. Right now, the Knicks are the fifth seed. They're 10 games over 500. They knocked off Miami with an unbelievable shot by Julius Randle. Who would have thought that? It was the best bad shot you'll ever see. Do it in the playoffs. <laughs> then we could take away all the craziness that we have said over the, the last couple of years that you can't play in the playoffs. Do that in the playoffs, and I'll take everything back for what I've said about Julius Randle. If they have that kind of possession to end a game in the playoffs, I would hope that is not what it looks like because they were very sloppy to get to that point. And Julius Randle, luckily, They had a 17-point lead in that game. And not only that, yeah. <laughs> addition to having a 17-point lead, but the possession itself was very sloppy. But they're beating good teams. They're beating teams that are going to make the playoffs. And that gives you a thought of what a good team is capable of doing. And outside of that Miami game, We've seen the Knicks play very well in the fourth quarter, too, which is a big issue they had in the beginning of the season. They were good in the second quarter. They were good at the beginning of the fourth quarter, but they had trouble finishing the games a lot of the time. Or they even the games they won, they made it way too interesting, especially with missed free throws, especially with some bad defense at certain points. But now the Knicks' defense is really coming along. Mitchell Robinson's come back, and they're much better on the interior. The perimeter's defense has been very good all year. The mm-hmm. wing depth is really showing on both sides of the floor. Mitchell and- Robinson plays a big part of Absolutely. what this team is going to be. As far as I'm concerned in the playoffs, they need that defender that's going to cram up that middle and make teams have to work for going to the hole. Right. And look at the centers that they probably are going to have to play in the playoffs if they even go to the second round, too. You're looking at the Celtics with Robert Williams and Al Horford. You look at Milwaukee with Brooke Lopez, who could score. Cleveland's got two very good ones with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And then you got the Sixers with the best one of all with Joel Embiid. And Milwaukee, the Greek freak. You need Mitchell Robinson. He needs to stay healthy. He can't stay healthy. So it is going to be very, very interesting moving forward for the New York Knicks. Now, Speedy. Are you ready? Yes, it is time for Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Read the chat. Gotta see the pitch. 
All right, we'll start with the NHL. The Devils made their big trade deadline move for Timo Meyer and now are one point back of the Carolina Hurricanes. Carolina's got a game at hand. Buy or sell, the Devils will surpass them to win the division. I believe it. I'm a believer in the New Jersey Devils. I have been very excited to watch this team grow. Jack Hughes is becoming a superstar. Timo Meyer adding him to that roster, fantastic. And Dougie Hamilton could be up for Defensive Player of the Year. Absolutely buy it. I am not taking away. Lindy Ruff, Coach of the Year. Absolutely buy it. I'm going to sell that one. I don't know. Do they have enough depth with the top six besides Why not? that to be able to do it the whole season? I like them in the playoffs. I agree with you on that. They're going to be tough out if they have to play the Rangers because of that core. But I do think Carolina's depth will still last them more throughout the regular season. I think Carolina's offense was just really bad in the beginning of the season. That's what hurt them to get to the, not having the big lead right away. But I do think they'll weather the storm. And they'll just hold off the Devils. Especially since, they again, they've had the, the, the pressure wouldn't be on them at that point. Carolina's dealt with it before. So I'm going to sell it. But I do think the Devils will be a tough out in the playoffs. All right, buy or sell. The Knicks will surpass either the Cavs or the Sixers and be a top four seed in the Eastern Conference. I think they have a better chance of passing the Sixers, not the Cavaliers, but why not? I think the Knicks are playing great basketball. They have about 16 games left. The Sixers only two games in hand over them, so I believe the Knicks could knock off the Sixers and take over that fourth spot. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy it too because the Sixers have been dealing with over the years, dealing with a lot of injuries with a lot of their key players. Wouldn't surprise me if Embiid got hurt again. Tyrese Maxey's had some nagging injuries in the past, too. And Cleveland as well. Donovan Mitchell was hurt at a point this year. Darius Garland was hurt at a point this year. And they've had trouble closing games at certain points as well. So the Knicks only a game back of Cleveland right now. Three and a half the back of the Sixers. I think it's realistic. I could see either one of them. I'll buy that one. All right, buy or sell. Jalen Carter uh, got in a little bit of trouble and might hurt his draft stock. He will fall out of the top half of the first round, the first 16 picks. I'm going to buy it. I think that's something to worry about. He's a great pass rusher. I don't care what any of these draft specialists say. When you get into trouble like this and you have been told plenty of times that this guy has been a troublemaker off the field, it scares me as a team. You're paying him millions and millions of dollars and putting your team in a position that if he makes another mistake, you can obviously lose him and put your team and set your team back in that draft position. So I am going to buy that he falls out of the top 15. I don't think he does that high. I'm going to sell that one. I think he'll still be in that 8 to 13 range. I don't think he'll be in the top 5 with this issue, but I think they have enough time to resolve it, unless there's a lot more extreme issues that happen, but I think what was described of what we know so far, it doesn't seem like it's going to be any more charges than just the 2, so I do think teams will take the chance on him at the 8 through 13 range, where they're going to get good value for a guy that's projected to be a top 5 overall prospect, so I am going to sell that one. Alright, buy or sell. Lamar Jackson will not get the franchise tag from the Ravens. He will get the franchise tag, and then he's going to want out. If that franchise tag locks him up, he will not, I repeat, will not sign back with the Baltimore Ravens, and I believe that's going to happen. They're going to franchise him, and he is going to ask for his way out, his papers out. I am going to buy it. Yeah, I agree with you on this one. I think Rashad Bateman's thing is going to be the last straw of how dysfunctional, not dysfunctional, but how sketchy this new GM, Eric DaCosta, has been. Ozzie Newsom retires, and since then, yeah, they've had a good team. They've drafted well, but the team seems like they haven't created a good culture. We've seen Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, and guys on the defense have issues with certain coaches, certain uh, guys, and the offense recently, too. Look at all offseason. J.K. Dobbins has to say something. We've heard now Rashad Bateman and, uh, and Lamar Jackson. 
and wants his money. So I agree with you on that one. I will buy it as well. All right. Buy or sell. The Padres will hold all four of their big contracts, Bogarts, Soto, Tatis, and now Machado, for at least two more full seasons. Absolutely. I'm buying it. I don't know why anybody thinks that they won't. As a matter of fact, they'll extend Soto as well. The only person that I'm questioning is Tatis, and that's just because they have to decide if he fits with this culture of this organization and this team with the steroid abuse. So I'm going to buy that Tatis will be there for at least two more years. And that whole team, that core will stay together. So I buy it. Yeah, I buy it too. Because I think Tatis is going to have to earn that trade value back either by staying healthy and playing well defensively in the outfield or, again, just having that good leadership. Because we also seen the Padres play well. He is not a leader. We've seen him fight with Machado. We've seen him fight with Soto. And he wasn't even playing on the team when Soto was there. Right. We've seen the Padres go to the NLCS without him. And the first half of the 2021 season, they were a lot like the Mets, where they had that big first half. Everyone was thinking, okay, this is the team of the future because they had all these big young players, including Tatis. Tatis gets hurt, and he's hurt in the middle of the season. They still play well. He comes back. They don't play as well. It's something about the team value end of it. We saw Bryce Harper have that in certain instances with the Nationals, where the teams play better without him. And that's going to hurt his trade value. So I'm going to buy that one as well. All right, buy or sell. Patrick Kane will score seven goals at least in the Rangers' remaining 20 games. I buy it. I I do. I think he'll get hot one way or another. He's playing on a very good line uh, with Panarin, and I believe they're going to be able to score. Their next two weeks are, I would say, pretty easy games. So I I think the Rangers will be able to put the puck in the net against some of the teams that they're playing against. Uh, some of the bad goaltending teams that they're going to be playing against. So I am going to buy it. Yeah, I'll buy it too, because I think you're also going to see the Rangers rotate him a lot on the power play as well. The Rangers' power play has been not great this season. If you want to have any flaw of the Rangers, it's kind of average, league average power play. So I think they're going to work him in kind of quickly because of that. Tarasenko's worked in nicely with this power play and also scoring the goal in overtime, working in those three and three systems. So I think they'll find a way to do it with Kane as well, where he'll get that. I think he'll be right at the cusp of seven, but I think seven is attainable. I will buy it. All right, last one. Somebody other than Saquon Barkley will get the franchise tag for the Giants. I buy it. It's Daniel Jones. Saquon will get signed. Dexter Lawrence will be signed. It makes a lot of sense. And Joe Shane, he comes from the Buffalo Bills. He grew up as an assistant GM over there with Buffalo. Buffalo is not going to pay a quarterback that has not fully proved himself. I absolutely buy it. I'm going to buy it, too. And I don't want it to happen because I'm worried about the repercussions of what we've seen quarterbacks with franchise tags have in the past. So I worry about it, especially with this new agent being very stubborn with Daniel Jones. But it seems like this front office is not backing down. We saw them trade Kadarius Tony. They gave up on him because it wasn't his product. There, It was a first-round pick. And he, they know Daniel Jones is not worth it right now, and he definitely is going to have to earn it. Whether they sign him before the long-term deal contract, I don't know. But I do think they'll give him the franchise tag to start, and they're going to let Saquon walk. I will buy that one as well. And there you go. Crunch time for the week, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to our special guest, former Commanders and Giants linebacker LeVar Arrington. He was fantastic. Thank you to Chaz and John from Moneyline Mania. Go check out their picks, guys. They are must-listen to. They are must-follows on Twitter. They know their stuff. They're the best handicappers in the country. Check out our show next week. Check out the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Thank you to 103.9 as well every single week, giving us the opportunity and the platform to do what we do, entertain you guys for sports radio and Comedy and craziness, as we always do. We'll be back next week. Good night.